Hello, and welcome to Chris's podcast, season two. We're going to sit around and talk about things and stuff this year and some other subjects. That's the other thing I like about this industry. I really believe everyone has a heart where they're trying to be constructive. And there's an old Proverbs, you know, that says constructive criticism is like gold. We should worry at the lack of it. One cold Saturday morning, I got to interview Wayne Lee of Middle Tennessee Lumber and all things wood flooring, really. I apologize for the slurping sounds of me and my hot beverage during this amazing life story of an American hardwood flooring treasure. My bad, I didn't think it would be so loud. Wayne lets us into so many personal life stories full of lessons about the wood flooring industry and beyond. Feel free to grab your own hot beverage and enjoy the interview. parents are from Virginia and West Virginia. The reason they moved to Chicago was for employment. Uh, way back in the 50s, in, in their world, you worked in the coal mine, or you worked for the coal mine store, or you worked something that had to do with the coal mine. And uh, wow. employment wasn't that great. So my dad heard of a friend who moved to Chicago and started driving trucks. And uh, that's he did that his entire career as a truck driver. Hmm. That's cool. I know people that do truck driving love it. Like my cousin is a truck driver. He loves it. Yeah. My dad was, uh, he drove in the city. He never, never over the road. So he drove a tractor trailer in the city of Chicago, which was impressive to, if you think about all the, yeah. (laughs) He, um, he did his entire career until he retired. Hmm. That's cool. Yep. Um, so did you want to be a truck driver when you were a kid? What did you want to be when you were a kid? When I was a kid, I had no clue. That's <laughs> just being honest. I, um, um, I, if I could pick my dream job, if someone said, Wayne, right now you could go backwards in life and you could pick your career path, you know, I me, I'd be playing professional baseball. I always have loved baseball. I still, hmm. to this day, enjoy baseball. Um, but uh, I had health issues as a kid that prevented me from uh, playing a lot of sports, any contact sports. So um, I guess yeah. mom and dad, yeah, they kind of protected me from all of that. And um, I just always would fiddle with stuff. I mean, I'd pick something up and take it apart and half the time break it. And I get it back together, but that, I guess that's where I grabbed my um, my common sense, if you will, for taking stuff apart and putting it back together. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to be a soccer player when I was a kid. That, that was my thing. Yeah, I, but, I, 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 if I could be a baseball player, I'd, I'd do it tomorrow. Totally sounds like it's like it, having that that life as a. It's it's still kind of magical so short and yes i don't know it seems fun you're right yeah i broke i broke my foot when i was a freshman like right when sports started to get really serious i broke my foot i um 
was actually just wrestling, horseplay wrestling with uh, my brother at home. And uh, he grabbed my right leg and kind of gave it a twist, and it snapped. And, uh, of course, you know, Mom towed you to the emergency room, and uh, they said I broke my femur, which is the largest bone in your body, your thigh thigh bone. So uh, once they got me in the ER, did some x-rays, they found uh, some traces of what they called cyst. I don't know what the big fancy terms are, but... uh, uh, the whole bone was just eat up with like taking a needle and putting the bazillion holes in spots. So it was weak. And then mm-hmm. of course, then, uh, you know, this is when I'm 11, 12, 13 years old there. And they, uh, did x-rays and they found the same thing through my entire right leg, uh, lower back and my left hip from birth was never formed correctly the ball was external of the socket. Wow. So, yeah, so that, that kind of ended my athletic career days in life. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No. I, I uh, yeah. I mean, I, and it, you know, as a kid, I always hurt. Bones always hurt, ached. So, uh, luckily, uh, my parents, I was in the hospital. They, they set my leg. I was in traction. That's, you know, the only way to really get it to heal back. Was that in your upper uh, body, too? Uh, it's in the only from like, like six inches of, no, just in my, from my spine, uh, six inches of my spine at the bottom down to my right leg and then my left hip. That's all it affected. Hmm. So, uh, we got lucky at that time. There was a, a young orthopedic doctor who just got out of school. That was like, you know, the, the top notch student and innovator of new products and new ideas. And, uh, so our family doctor, reached out to him. He became my care doctor for my bones, and uh, he squared me away. In 1995, I had to have my left hip completely replaced, so I have a total left hip. Ball, socket, joint, uh, everything is all artificial. And um, he was a pretty cool doctor because he said something that kind of stuck with me. Um, Through all of this, I just, you know, one of those, well, I'm not going to be this, I'm not going to be that kind of attitude. And he looked at me and he put his hand at my throat and he said, from here down, your body, at that time he said a price, uh, it's worth this price for medical research. From here up, meaning from my neck to my head, said, that's your decision. You set your own worth. Mm. I guess that's when it kind of struck me as I need to, you know, as a young teenager, think about, beyond my teenage years how old were you i was i I was in 13 12 13 14 somewhere in there i mean it was i was young but i still remember that that line that he gave me yeah right when you're basically like your childhood done time to be an adult moment (laughs) yeah you're yeah you're going through you know a lot of changes in life you know as a young young teenager and kid and emotionally mentally physically everything's starting to change you know um, yeah. And it just, that just struck and stuck with me. And I still, you know, here I'm 59 years old and I still remember that, you know? So, yeah, that's good advice. I mean, yeah. Like uh, I can tell, I can tell looking at you that, like, they say you want to play baseball. Like, you know, I'm sure you could have hit a ball. You got, yeah. Like, you know, you, I, you got that, you got that right body for baseball strong and, yep. 
and hand-eye coordination, quick hands, you know. And and attitude to when the coach says run through the wall, I'm the guy that's going to run through the wall. So <laughs> yeah, the shorter arms. Like you look at Mike Trout, and you're like, okay, that's that's definitely the yeah. type of a baseball player there. I um I always wanted to play catcher. Also, I didn't. I wanted to be involved in every aspect of the game. So mm. who has the ball the most, the pitcher and the catcher? So yeah, yeah. That's like that's uh, what cool. Buster Posey always said. They were always telling Buster Posey to go to first. I'm a Giants yeah. fan. He's a Giants fan. I was like, I agree. You know, he was like, I ain't going to first. I love being a catcher. Different. Yeah, I. When they call it the tools of ignorance. <laughs> so, um, but no, I, I obviously I played as a kid a little bit in uh, mm-hmm. recreation kind of stuff, but never could play in school or anything because I I weren't uh, I was not allowed to because teachers yeah, in school, no. they, they didn't want to take responsibility for me, uh, you know, getting hurt again. So. Mm-hmm. Um, it worked, you know. It worked out great. I, I'm, I have no dis, no regrets. So you know. Oh but, no, you can't. I mean, I have this weird thing with the word regrets. Actually, like, like I look at if I have a regret and I look at it and I learn something from it, I'm like, well, that was a good regret. You yeah. know, like I realized I should have changed it, so I do have regrets. You know, but yeah, I, I, don't I know. call those words are how you hear them. So. I call those life lessons because we all have yeah. life lessons where we make a decision, we do some action or we say some words that we're like, I wish I didn't say that. So totally. you could call them, you could call them regrets, but it's a life lesson. And um, Exactly. It's all, that, it's all what you want to call it. Yeah. It's, it's something to grow and, and get better at. So mm-hmm. no, but I uh, want, you know, what really got me into nuts and bolts and tools and all that was just as a kid, I, um, two older brothers and they were always involved in their own thing. Um, they both, uh, oldest brothers, you know, graduated college, uh, next brother's older, didn't go to college, but started out a military career in law enforcement. And, uh, today he's a chief of police outside of the suburbs of Chicago and he's gone to classes and he's done all that. So, uh, and then there's Wayne, the floor man. So, um, <laughs> I, uh, I just fell in like uh, with it. You know, I, I shared some stories where I had an opportunity to go to a training class hosted by the NWA. And at the time I was working for Clark, American Sanders. And, uh, I went in just to see what those things are supposed to do. Not what I'm told they do. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I guess I, I told him I got a puff of that sawdust and it was like the perfume of a beautiful woman. I just was, I just fell in love, you know? So. Yeah. Uh, I can relate. Yeah. That's the early 80s. It smells good. Yeah. That's the early eighties. I started with this stuff. So, um, and, and that's really where, I guess that's where I really got my education was, uh, with American Sanders, some of the best service technicians, uh, at the time, um, they really did service training in the seventies and eighties. You didn't just pick a guy off the street that was good with wrenches and screwdrivers. You actually were trained to repair the equipment. And, um, you saw, I mean, I can remember in times a new product, we would have uh, not only sales education for people to sell the product, but we had service education where technicians within the organization would have to come and learn how to break them down and repair them and set them up and, and it was all at that time we called, you know, uh, manufacturer specifications so that 
every time if I'm in Denver or if I'm in California, if I'm in New York, or if I'm in Chicago, each technician set it up the same way. So there was consistency. And, um, I mean, I just was blessed to work with some of the best mechanics out there. That's really what got me my education. So how, how did you get that started? I mean, like funny, long story, but, um, I was in the chemical. We got time to go ahead and tell us. I was in the chemical business. I worked for a company called Cynamic Chemical. They made, uh, they manufactured cleaning equipment, floor, acrylic floor waxes, cleaners, toilet bowl cleaner, glass cleaner, you know, things of that nature that you would use in the janitorial business. I started that job when I was about 13 after school, but I didn't start in the factory. I was, they needed someone to mow grass and uh, clean windows and do lots of little trivial things. And my, my parents knew the owners uh, casually because they were in the, our community. And they said, sure, we'll, we'll give him, you know, and at that time I think it was, you know, 425 an hour to come clean our, you know, clean, help with the bathrooms, sweep, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. So through that, through all the way through high school, I worked uh, for them. And eventually was, you know, from mowing the grass and cleaning windows to actually being a compounder where I'd be mixing this stuff up. Um, and I would, they were all large vats, tanks, stainless steel, you know, everything, valves. And so I was the guy actually changing all those out and if something went wrong, I'd, I'd be the guy that fixed it. Uh, helped establish their mass flow meters, which was all electronic and uh, harmonics. It would sense the, the viscosity of a product and how fast it went through this tube it would generate a vibration and that's, it would tell you how many pounds of product went through that tube. And Mm -hmm. that's how it all started. Uh, I just got tired of being around the chemicals. Yeah. um, American Sanders had a branch in uh, Elk Grove village, which is outside of Chicago. They had an ad for mechanic. So I went and filled out an application. Well, I'm, you know, in my young Mm twenties, truthfully not qualified, not one second was I qualified mm-hmm. to do this job? So I said, you know, I really want to work here. And uh, the man, the guy in charge of that branch at the time, his name was Don Wood. I still am friends with him. He's he's like probably one of the better bosses I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, I said, Mr. Wood, I really want this job. I'm just going to keep come visiting in case something else opens. And he said, Yeah, okay, okay. Well, I went there every two weeks on Friday on my way home from. It was on my way home from work and I would just swing by there every two weeks and say, hi, hi, Mr. Wood. I'm, I'm just letting you know, I'm, I'm still interested. And I, mm-hmm. I think he thought I would eventually just die off and go away, mm-hmm. but I, I didn't. And then one Wednesday morning, I get this, you know, at this time it was a answering machine at home. It says, Hey, Wayne, this is Don Wood with Clark America Sanders. Uh, I have an opening, uh, I would be stupid not to hire you because you've been here every two weeks. You're almost like family. And that's how it started. And that was probably a year of every two weeks going in there and just saying hi, hello, and knocking on the front door. And <laughs> How long did you say? What, a year? I was probably eight months a year that I went in there and just, hey, how you doing, you know? And they, by the by the fourth, fifth month, I mean, they're like, come on in. We're, we're going to have, you know, we're having – uh, at that time, they would all sit down and have a cocktail before they'd go home. And I, I don't drink, still don't drink. Uh, so I'd have a soft drink with them, and we mm-hmm. would just sit and talk about nothing. And it, it was like I was an employee that 
that worked there or a friend that just came by to say hey. And uh, that, yeah. that was 1985. March hmm. of 1985 is when I started with American Sanders. And, um, that, I mean, that's how my career got going. That's That was my college right there. That's so interesting. Yeah. Um, right. From there, it led to fixing the equipment. I had two gentlemen that were uh, master mechanics, uh, Mickey and Jerry. They were both uh, outstanding technicians. They had worked at that time that I got hired. They had already worked for American Sanders and Clark for close to 20 years each. And uh, so I got the chance of gaining the knowledge from two guys with 20 years of experience. Um, just, I mean, just to watch them and to, you know, they know what they know. And like I said, back then you, it wasn't, you're just good with a wrench or a screwdriver. You actually had to know what you were talking about. You had to have a basic understanding of electricity. You had to have the basic understanding of the mechanics and, and some, uh, you know, some concept of how things work and, and go together mm-hmm. and function. And so I, I was really blessed with that. That's for sure. Um, and I'm yeah, you already had that. you already had all that interest and knowledge in your you know just because you're doing it so you picked it yeah, up fast yeah. and anything they were like do this you're like okay yeah but the really cool thing is they were both they had a, they both had their own style of teaching mm-hmm. but the one guy that uh, really impressed me the most and I I still use his process today uh, he believes in doing things in a certain order so if, if every time I look at a machine. I start at this point and I end at this point. And that way you don't miss anything. And what Mickey was known for was never missing uh, a problem with the machine. And we were rated by, we, at that time, we would say a callback. If a customer, you fix this machine, they took it, it didn't perform well, they'd bring it back. So that was like a callback. So that means yeah. basically you're, you're eating labor. Mickey was known for uh, the least amount of callbacks. I be willing to bet if he had one a year, I'd be that was a lot. So he taught me yeah. that process of start start at this point, end at this point. And then uh he would test you through the course of his treat uh and that, teaching. And that was obviously different for every tool, but Yes, every yeah, system that's in correct. that was there like yeah. some sort of system in that? He had a system for each product. Um so you'd mm-hmm. start at once you know, whatever the tool was uh, whether, you know, because we also repaired automatic floor scrubbers, uh, litter vacuums, gas engine stuff. We Anything that Clark and American Sanders made, these guys were uh, trained in it. Um, so so what's, the, what's the start to finish from with a Super 7? Start to finish for me, I go from the I, – I start at the bottom and work my way up when I dismantle it. And, uh, and I, I just look at everything that's there. And you feel for where there's there's techniques of you know checking the gears. How do you know if the gears are starting to show wear or slack? Uh, you know the color of the grease, the casters. Then you go to the base to make sure the base is not cracked or leaking or the seals aren't leaking. Then you go to the body where the armature and the field are mounted. Uh, you, you you high pod test that, which is nothing more than a high voltage, uh, you know, shock to it to see if there's any breakdown in the in the components and. Then you go to the motor brushes. Then you go to the handles. Then you go to the switch. It's just you do that all the way through. Some of the other equipment you start at the top and work your way down. And um, hmm. it, it that system uh, I I still use today. And not only that, but I use it for actual floors because you have to start 
at the bottom. And that you, ever, you, ever, you ever write a book on all that? Oh, I've written articles through the course of the year, but no, I, I am, uh, I've, you know, uh, that's, that's another long, yeah, it's a lot to do. Plus, again, I write like I talk. So, yeah, exactly. Um, it's a lot of stuff so yeah. personal, but I'm sure the if, if that guy had a system that you recognize is efficient, is, it's efficient across the board yeah. for most people it, that have that type of thinking, or at least are willing to give it a shot. You know. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, he would test you because Mickey was a large coffee drinker. He loved his coffee, so um, he would say, "Hey, I need you to take this off and this off," and he would walk away with his cup and he'd go get his cup full. Well. I did it once and only once. I said, well, if he's going to want this off, he's going to want that off. Oh, he's going to want this off next. So I took that one extra step. He came back and said, did I tell you to take that off? Yeah. I go, oh, no, I didn't. But I thought, I said, I don't need you to think. I need you to learn. Yeah. And that That's was true. Like, you, you stop messing around with tools in your, in your shop. Yeah. And you, you break <laughs> things before you realize what you, what you were doing. Well, it wasn't that I broke something. It's just that I was. he showed me and a way to make sure the components that I took off are good. You know, we can take a yeah. micrometer and micrometer some, we can feel it to see if there's rolling and pinging on a gear. Uh, it's just different things. And he's like, now I can't show you what I was going to show you. So I'm like, yeah, you get, you're getting ahead of yourself to where you exactly. So you said, I need you to, things and then yep, I need you to follow orders so that you yeah, can that's, learn. That's the lesson, you know? Yeah, that's it. And I, I did it once and only once. And, and that's why he was so efficient and had the greatest uh, service record for no callbacks. Very, but yeah. he wasn't slow. He wasn't. He wasn't like the slowest guy in there. He he still because of his system. He had. He was able to utilize his knowledge, his skills, and go actually be quicker. Because yeah. he he knew what was going to happen. He could tell you what was going to go bad. He was just a great guy. Uh, now Jerry's the opposite. Jerry was uh, he was a hardline guy. Uh, you do it like this, not because I'm going to show you something, but because I told you so. So I, I got a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, I'm like, well, I'd say, well, why do we set the casters like this? Because I told you so. Because that's how it's done. That's how we set them up at the factory. That's, how, that's, you know. Uh, how long were you were you working there for? You, do you still work like directly for them wrenching and doing stuff like that? No, I I worked for uh, Clark American Sanders for 25 years. And the uh, the 2008-2009 recession came along. Uh, at that time, I had, uh, I, I'll use the word graduate, to other things within the organization. Uh, I became the lead guy on the road to service battery-operated equipment. We used to, I had a van full of parts and stuff. I could go out and fix the equipment. I got to be the, the lead guy there. Uh, then I got promoted to... Uh, what they call branch manager, which was I helped schedule the servicing, ordering the parts, everything that goes on in a service center. And then um, I actually got in, involved in some R&D because they uh, – I don't think companies do this like they used to, but back then if, if someone had a good idea, uh, you could present it to them, and um, they would actually listen. So I actually have my name on a couple patented pieces of equipment with Clark and American Sanders. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, had some great had a great boss. The guy's name was Dick Hammond. He's retired. He's in his late seventies, early eighties, but he worked for Clark and American Sanders for over thirty years, I believe. 
And uh, he's the one that got me in the Woodside. He said, look, I, this kid's good. Uh, Dick was the national service manager, so he was responsible for anything to do with service, service parts, uh, service branches, anything to do with service. It was his responsibility. And uh, he's like, this kid's good. I'm going to use him. So uh, he's actually the one that got me involved with Tim McCool and the NWFA. He's like, mm-hmm. I need, I need, this guy needs to know more about what's going on because we can use his skills and his knowledge to either help make new product or resolve problems and, and stuff like that. So, uh, so I was in R and D, I was in some sales, I was in some training. I really didn't have a specific title uh, with American Sanders at that time in 2008, 2009, the management had to make some tough decisions and I was there right around the 25 year mark. So I had, you know, four weeks paid vacation, 12 sick days, pretty good income. Uh, I carried a heavier, you know, uh, check. So I was one of the guys let go. Yeah. And then I said, well, I am, I'm, I'm an American Sandra guy. I, I'm not going to apply for a job to work for another manufacturer because for 25 years, I'm not going to tell you that this was the best piece of equipment. And then turn around and say, well, you know, uh, this here's probably better because I, I just didn't want to be that guy. Yeah. So that's how I, that's how my career ended pretty much started and ended with American Sanders. Uh, I've been gone since, uh, it's been close to 15 years now. They, I still have a great relationship with a lot of folks there. Um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of new people. They, uh, they call me occasionally asked me for some information of old equipment, you know, that, the, you know, they no longer have either blueprints or data or whatever about. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, they'll, you know, I get inquired of that. I get contractors that still call me and say, hey, Wayne, um, I know you work for American Sanders. I'm like, well, I don't. It's been 15 years. And they're like, what? <laughs> he goes, what? I didn't know that. <laughs> because I still, I, I support them. I, I with, with all my fiber. I'm not saying the other equipment out there is <clears throat> no good because it is. They also they wouldn't be a business. But yeah. I personally believe American Sanders makes the best. <clears throat> excuse me, the best product for hardware floors. And uh, so I told my wife, you know, obviously we're both concerned about income, money, and we're going into a recession. And there's a lot of upside down things in life. I said, well, I'm just yeah. going to start. I'm just going to start installing same and finishing floors. Mm. And she says, okay. So. Uh, my boss at that time was gracious enough to get me equipment at uh, a, a very reasonable price, <laughs> and uh, I got started. Mm-hmm. And been doing that for I don't know how long now. Um, been a while. I did it uh, part time for two years and full time eight years. So I got ten years of of just living it mm-hmm. and loved it, lived it and loved it. But I gotta go so back you, to you came off with like all this experience, knowing how to run all this equipment that we run, and then fix it, or, or yeah. being, being able to fix it all, like knowing in and out. And then, is there anything like you picked up, like from what they were telling you, how to set it up and do to where now you're in the field doing it, where you're like, I'm tweaking it to do this, you know? Because I think oh, yeah. it's oh, better. Yeah. Absolutely, I'm not gonna lie. I'm a frustrated engineer. I like to, just like everybody else, I like, let me, I'm going to go home and try to do this. So I'll do it in my garage. And some of them work, some of them don't. Some of them are actually on equipment today. I'll share it with uh, the guys at American Sanders, and they're like, that's cool. So, uh, 
I actually took my big machine uh, to their current manufacturing facility, and we took it apart, and I showed them like 10 different things that I did to my machine, and they incorporated it into the equipment that they had. So, um, and, and a lot of it is, uh, it's twofold. It's because I was had the opportunity to work with Jerry and Mickey and, and get on-the-job training through the 25 years. <clears throat> then, the, <clears throat> then the 10 years of um, being a floor guy, you see how uh, the real world works. And, okay, Mr. Engineer, you got an understanding of what we, we need to do out here, but this would work better. So that, that was, I guess, you know, the second phase of my education was actually being involved in the flooring business. Yeah. So I see yeah, I a like lot of things. And I feel like there's a lot of equipment out there that, like, I can look at it online and tell that it runs good, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't even yeah. see it. I can see someone using it, and I'm like, wow, that, that's going to work well, you know? And, like, how do you clock your, like, what do you like to clock your um, Super 7 at? Do you change well, that, it for like grits or ever like with your wheels never. in the back? I, I mm-hmm. don't move it. I like my machine to cut. Uh, let's just uh, we use a clock as a good term. Uh, this is a term that Daniel, uh, was probably my floor mentor, uh, taught me to use as clocking. You, you want to clock it to one o'clock, two o'clock, whatever. I like my entry to, to cut dominantly at about eleven thirty, so the backside of noon. What I'm confused at coming from the OEM world of where it says it's supposed to be set here and this is the original specs and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. I don't know how people started setting edgers up at one and two o'clock because it it was never meant to be there. I know. That's what I started hearing. I saw you say that somewhere and I changed it up to 12 and I was like, huh, that seemed a little bit better. And I changed it the other way. And yeah, um, it, it never was meant to cut at one or two o'clock. You can just take the front of the machine and put that against the baseboard, and you, you can see that you're not even uh, going to get close to the to the baseboard. If you spin it or clock it so that you're going toward one o'clock, two o'clock, the front of that housing is cut away so that that pad and that roller guard will stick out and uh, get tighter to the baseboard and the shoe mold. So that so yeah. I like mine at eleven thirty to answer your question, and I like to clock it. I don't do the J pattern. I don't do the uh, the back and forth in and out. I, I do a consistent, uh, left and right pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know many guys have seen me do that over the years and watched some, some videos, but when you turn that edger and it's cutting at 1130, it cuts about the size of a quarter. That's all mm-hmm. it really does the work. You can actually start to see with your own eyes, the scratch begins to go with the grain more. And as you turn that edger, clock that edger to your right, you're taking that cut point and you're actually fortifying uh, the side match. Mm-hmm. So we know 45 on the floor is the best way to get it flat, right? Yeah. So I'm doing that same motion by cutting on a 45. I got the scratch going dominantly with the grain and I'm going down and back just like the big machine. We go down and come back in the same path. We move over, we go down, we come back in the same path. I do the same thing with the edger. Obviously, my movement is, you know, much smaller, three-eighths to a quarter of an inch. So I'll go mm-hmm. down and back, drop down three-eighths, quarter of an inch, go down and back, drop down three-eighths, quarter of an inch, go down and back. And the whole time, I'm looking at the scratch pattern. So if I want to clock the edge or more or less to hide my scratch. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know. Uh, and that's, and that's um, with a bolt, right? 
I use hook and loop. I actually, I'm the guy that, yeah, I'm the guy that originally started the flex pad for the Super 7R and the B2. Yeah, and I saw that. They work, they work great, unfortunately. And you're still only getting like a quarter of a size. I guess well, that's where it's really a cutting efficiently. It's cut, it's feathering yeah, it, out beyond that. It, yes, that's correct. It feathers in and out. So I can get a little bigger pattern with the flex pad because the yeah. flex pad, uh, it's not, it, it flexes in it. So I don't have to worry about digging in. Now, there is a trade-off. The trade-off is, it's yes, it's not as aggressive, but with today's technology of minerals, I can go to a different mineral and make up the exactly. difference. So I, I traditionally finish out with silicon carbide, and I'll use a high-performance mineral to do the other work. So I may have a, you know, a, a ceramic alumina or just straight or ceramic or whatever, and I can yeah. make all that. I can make up for that lack of, of head pressure. Yeah, but it's no. it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Sand, and, sandpaper uh, technology. They finally started realizing that flooring guys use a lot of sandpaper, and they invested a ton of money in us. Thank, thank yes, you, sir. companies out there. <laughs> yeah, they're um, yeah. I have always a bunch of clouds, but whatever. Yeah, I have always been a 3M guy. I've got probably 30 years of 3M, yeah. and um, lately, uh, through communication with some uh, Nate and some other guys, I I gave Norton an honest try and. Uh, I'm actually switching over. Yeah, I, I, that mess power is cheating. I mean, I I was I had to do a trim piece. It was just one trim piece, and it was like a used 120 mess power that they'd been using on the fest tool at the job. And I went to go sand it, and normally because it's got all that chatter in there from going through the machining trim piece, you know, mm-hmm. I hit it with like 80 grit at least to get all that off, you know, maybe even lower if I just wanted to be lazy about my pushing, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, you know, and I, and I saw the 120 mesh power on there and I had like kind of cushy little pad on there, a little interface pad thing too. And I was like, hmm, let me just use this, you know? And it, I can tell that just the 120 beat up mesh power, they did use it a lot. It's pretty used, you know, from the job. And it sanded it like it was nothing. Like yeah, it just it will it just wipe it wiped it away. Like I barely had to push and it was one twenty and I was like mm. I'm actually using that for uh not even repair. Yeah, I'm using that for repairs now. Not instead of using sandpaper, I'm using the screen mesh. They have the different grids. Yeah. So no, uh, you know, we used we used to do the hand scraper, uh you know, the grain chasing techniques we've been taught and, and yeah, then hand yeah. rub it with yeah. So I'm using the screen mesh different grids to get the it helps achieve the look of the machine because you know that machine's turning. Yeah, you can just eat it away. It it it's so yeah. like you can tell that if you start rubbing your finger on that mesh style paper just for a little while, you're gonna have blood in no time. It's like, it's like crazy. It, yeah, it'll it'll eat some skin and it'll eat. Yeah, but it doesn't do it. It does it in such a um even flat plane aggressively that it's like it's like the perfect style sandpaper for what we do. Yeah, it is, and it's great for repairs. It's great for stairs, handrails. Yeah, I even thought about that, that grain chasing technique, using that to just kind of eat through where you want to. I like yeah. that. Yeah, it works well. Um, take your um, take your putty knife and fold the piece over it, and you've got an amazing flat platinum that you can sand with around stuff. There you go. Yeah, a little, so, little point you can just be real accurate with. Yeah, you can get, you know, a quarter-inch wide putty knife or a four-inch wide putty knife and 
you keep your platinum, you keep a nice flat platinum. You don't have to worry about finger marks. So uh, it's it's pretty cool stuff. I feel like I spend more time thinking about tools that I want to make for flooring than actually making them because I constantly go in and out of my head. I'm like, I should right. do that. And then I, I have, I'm the type of person that I just want to do a lot of things, so I do them. I start so many things, and I'm doing so many things at once. Yeah, I just yeah i i would uh, I would love to get back into the machine side of the world because now I work for Middle Tennessee Lumber. Mm-hmm. Um, but Middle Tennessee Lumber is an American Sanders distributor, okay. so uh, part of my job is to go out job site demo stuff. And uh, I'm sure you guys have seen my Facebook. I call it Skills on Wheels, where I just show up with my truck and trailer and. I show folks what I've learned and what I do and how I do it, you know, and I, I, I premise everything with, yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful job. And it's a, I mean, I don't, it's a great place to work. The, the owner and the son or his father and son, phenomenal, absolutely the best people I've ever worked with and worked for without a doubt as a company. But they, I, uh, I was working with Daniel and uh, he, he came up with a little phrase. He said, you know what we get to do, Wayne? That's Daniel Boone, right? Yeah, Daniel Boone. He's the one that taught me. I'll, I'll tell you that story when I get, get done with this story. But he said, uh, we're on permanent vacation, aren't we? And I said, yeah, you know we are because we get to go around and teach, show, do what we love to do. And uh, how many people can say they absolutely love what they do? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. This is kind of like a permanent vacation. <laughs> but uh, but it, uh, it's enjoyable. Get to meet different people. Uh, from you know, from my generation, from the '60s, '70s, '80s, to the millennial young guys that are out there, it, yeah, it's cool. The awesome thing is they're all floor guys, and and I think the age difference is not as important to me as the. A lot of these guys are very crafty. Mm-hmm. They have an amazing eye for color and detail, yeah. and uh, I I just I'm impressed by it. I think in many ways they've surpassed past my skill level uh, um, a, a guy that I utilize or tell you know how he's achieved a, what he's achieved is Toby Merrill he's a guy that I met when he was 18 I was doing a class and he was in there in the class and he was a very tall skinny kid that was was just really into it and uh, hmm. he uh, the guy's got an, art, an eye for you know making things doing things um, Avidas is a guy that I talk about. He's the guy that's been to Dubai and done all those fancy floors from the NWFA. Uh, he was actually, he had no clue what he was doing until he came to some of the classes that we taught. And now here he is winning awards and doing amazing artwork. Amazing. Yeah, so these it's, guys all, are, it's, it's yeah. really all just getting that momentum, that spark in your mind, and then that motivation and then the execution of it, you know. You can it's a gift. a lot. It's a gift. They're, and like I said, they have surpassed me. I'm the old nail it down, sand it, finish it. Yeah. You know, We're also playing with coated. different tools. It's a yeah. little bit cheating. Like I'm I'm on that cusp where I worked in my company the entire time with like, you know, Big Machine, Edger, Buff, Dusty House. Yeah. yeah. Put up Plastic World. Now it's like vacuums, hardly any plastic. Yep. Um. Yep. Sandpaper's different. Tools are different. Yep. Uh, ease of operation on our bodies. Finish is, is different. Better. 
Yeah. It's like, well, yeah, it, so it's... Imagine when I, you know, I'll go into the story. When I, how I got into wood flooring, um, I went to that class with Tim McCool, and uh, at that time I did not realize it, but Tim McCool was the technical director for the NWA, but he was actually phasing out. He was taking another job. So Daniel Boone had been hired as the new tech director. And uh, I met Daniel in uh, California. He and Tim McCool were doing a class together so that Tim could show Daniel the ropes of how the program works. Well, my boss had sent me out there to um, just go and be there and represent American Sanders. So I did, and uh, I met Daniel, um, you know, shook his hand, but, you know, hey, this is Daniel Boone, you know, he's going to be taking the job here. And I kind of, just, you know, it was one of those casual moments where you just, hey, hi, nice, how you doing? Nice to meet you. Mm-hmm. You know, well, you know, glad you're on board, that kind of thing. Well, yeah. through the course of that week, he was getting ready to do an Ezra demonstration. Well, that prior, that day before, um, American Sanders had sent in all brand new equipment for this class and, and a distributor had already purchased it. And after the class, they were going to take it and sell it to a contractor. So I said, well, I'm just going to make sure everything's all set up. So I came in early and I turned every piece of equipment on and I dialed it in the way uh, I like to have it run. Mm-hmm. So the next, that afternoon, Daniel's getting ready to do an Edger demonstration. He grabs a super seven R and uh, he explained what he does, how he does it all the things that you need to do for, you know, the process of teaching. So when he turned it on, he he popped it down, sanded the floors, uh, you know, 40 seconds, less than a minute, and he turned the edger off. And he looked up in the crowd, and he said, who set this edger up? And so immediately I'm like, oh, no. Oh, I've already got the new guy upset, you know. You are hiding so, in the corner. I, I, hiding in the corner, no. I was trying to hide behind the people so they wouldn't see me. Yeah. Exactly. You're like, yeah, I'm like, oh, I don't want to be that guy. And like three uh, inches taller and backed up three feet. And... Yeah, and I'm looking for the exit sign. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so he then uh, about you know a nice long pause. He goes, "This is the best, smoothest edger I've, I think I've ran ever." Well, then of course you know from the back row to the front row. Yeah, I did. I did. You know that was me. Woo-hoo. And. uh that afternoon, we, he um, after the class was over, he, came, he approached me and said, look, I I want to know what you know, because I know all about sanding floors, and I know all about it. But, so I said, well, Mr. Boone, I need to know what you know. I need to understand why you think that's a smooth running edger and why it's important to make it do what it what it just did mm-hmm. for you on, on that floor. And so that's when it started for, for me. I, uh, he actually – That's cool. Yeah, he what I what I would do, and not many companies do this anymore either. Uh, my boss, Dick Hammond, said, "Hey, if Daniel's willing, if you if he needs help, if he's doing a real job, you go work for him, and we'll pay your salary." So I went to work for Daniel on a number of jobs, and started scraping, started edging, started sweeping, started doing everything, and got paid by American Sanders. So I was I when I say I was getting on the job training, I was getting on the job training. Wow. Uh, when was that? What year was that? Oh, uh, this is the nineties. I don't remember exactly when. Um oh, so that's pretty long time before Yeah, yeah, I was I was up. a wrench. Yeah, I was so a you wrench. Put, you start you put time. your business together in what, two thousand ten ish then, right? 
Yeah, 2009, end of 2009, 2009 2010. Yeah. yeah, so right during the Absolutely. recession height. And then uh, did that for a number of years, and uh, I loved mm-hmm. it. But I got to go backwards. And remember, I said I have, these, I have all these health issues with my bones. Mm-hmm. Uh, my body physically cannot do it. It's not mentally. Yeah. It's not. It's not my heart. It's my. I'm surprised you even gave it a shot. Well, my doctor told me uh, after my I had my artificial hip in '95. He said, "Hey, your hard days of working are over. You can't. You can't do this. You can't do that. I don't want you lifting anything over, you know, 80 pounds." And I'm like, "Okay." Well, it's. Uh, 2000 and 2021 so from 95 to 2021 i still have the original equipment the orthopedic surgeon that installed my hip is since retired and i see a new orthopedic surgeon here in my hometown and i see him once a year because uh i use for regular checkups and he's amazed he's like i don't understand it there's absolutely no way this hip should last this long and what you do to your body, this hip should have broken in eight to ten years. And I'm like, well, I'm one of the lucky ones then. And I'm still mm-hmm. on the original hip um, with no pain, no discomfort. And every year I go in, he says, I'll see you next year. I'll see you next year. Wow. Uh, he told me, he do told you, me, like, stretch regularly? Uh, on the yeah. couch and lay down right. with a bag of chips. Yeah, with, on the couch with a bag of chips, yeah. <laughs> That's my but stretching. <laughs> Give me a bag so, of chips on the couch. So the year, the years of work and kind of doing it in a way where you were moving your body in a strong, yeah. healthy enough way did it. Yeah, yeah, because I altered how I do some things. And if you watch me walk, it's, you know, I, I have a limp. Um, they all make fun of me when I, I I'm a horrible T-bar guy because you can't walk with a really bad limp in T-bar. Um, no, yeah. So I was excited when rolling came along, but uh, oh yeah. Uh, you know, I get teased the way I walk, but if you ever see me walk behind a big machine, um, I've got my hips in a point in a position where I can walk in a nice straight line just as smooth as anyone else. So it's just a matter of adapting. But um, so, so you I did that. You did that for you walked behind a big machine for for years after you had a hip surgery and all that, and they told you eight years nothing should be busted. Oh yeah, you're toting wood, you're squatting, getting up and down, doing all the things we do. Uh, the doctor's like, it's not supposed to last that long. You know, an average hip is, is 10 to 12 years. You should have worn this thing out many years ago. So it's really I, fascinating. Uh, yeah, it is. It's, it's amazing. Uh, at the time when I got this hip, it was a uh, new technology. It's uh, instead of metal on metal, this is the ultra high density plastic ball and socket. But the stem and the actual new socket that I have, it's all titanium. So if you remember in the uh, late 80, I'm sorry, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, when people were getting the metal poisoning from the uh, hips and knees they had put in, it's because it was news about that. Yeah, yeah, it, it was metal on metal, so they were grinding, and they were getting the metal shavings in their blood. Mm. My mine is ultra high density plastic, so it's plastic mm. on plastic, and the ball itself is porcelain. So it's there's absolutely very little wear, and my body friction, fluid, yeah. yeah, my body fluids, if you will, are the the lubricant or the grease. So now wow. they're yeah, it's it's working, it's amazing, it's it's uh, you know I, the doctor said now here's the problem now we got to hope we can get the parts, 
because your parts aren't, you're, it's not supposed to last this long. <laughs> so when I have to replace it, we got to, it's going to be tough to get the parts. Well, fortunately, uh, insurance companies through this whole mess of the metal poisoning, the company that makes my hip has reintroduced it. So we have all the parts we need again. So it's not, a, it's okay. just going to be a, a minor. He says that now it's going to be a minor surgery because all I have to do is make a small incision, replace the cup, the ball, and the so- and all that, and we're good to go. Mm. So, uh, yeah, so when I have to have it done again, he's like, uh, you know, you'll be good. But I was told, because I had it put in in 95, I was, you know, in my 30s. They told me I'd have to have it again in my late 40s, and uh, probably again before I die, because I'll wear it out. Well, here mm. I am, you know, the original 50. One. 59, and they're still running the original set of brakes. How's that? <laughs> uh, that is amazing. I, yeah, it is. But unfortunately, I can't. Uh, the other. Do you ever talk to those doctors that did that surgery, or the doctor, or whoever it was? No, I, I actually, oddly enough, I researched his name. I googled his name. He's uh, he's still alive, but he's retired. He's 81 years old. And mm-hmm. uh, if I had somewhere to reach out to him, I would love to because. Uh, that's the guy that left a pretty good impression on me as a kid, you know, myself. Yeah, you should try to. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be amazed that, you know, if he would remember me, that would be the next thing. Because think of all the surgeries he's done, you know, from 95 till 2021. But um, Yeah, my dad had an act. Sorry, go ahead. No, I, it, I would be fun. I, I might try that just to, if I can reach out to him. Yeah, you should. Because, like, I was just thinking that because my dad had an accident when I was, eight years old and he broke his back and neck and got electrocuted with 12,000 volts and almost died. And, mm. um, you know, had a whole bunch of spinal issues and had surgeries and he had this surgery that was supposed to be like six hours and it took nine hours. Wow. And, and, uh, it was a young doctor and the guy like, you know, my dad is still alive and he's hang, he hang glided when he was younger. He's picked up hang gliding now and he's older. Good for him. Rides his bike all over and crashes and breaks his collarbone. Still, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's kind of a wild man in, in a very strange way. But um, yeah, and and that that guy totally changed his life. I'm talking about it, and he was just like, yeah, just like like that. He was a young doctor, and and he's actually he, he passed away. I, 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 after my dad told me, I looked him up, and I found yeah, I found him, and I was like, huh, he passed away, and. It's an interesting thing. I feel like doctors, like, they've changed people's lives so much in those moments. Like, that guy said something to you, mm-hmm. and not only did he change your mind, but then he, like, did a surgery that... Yeah. He did a, he, a obviously, he did an amazing job, right? Yeah, because when I, at, at the, the initial doctors at the emergency room, when they looked at the, the, you know, the x-rays, they said, oh, my goodness, this guy's got uh, cysts. Uh, in his leg, in his femur, in his tibia, his mm-hmm. ankles aren't right. We need to amputate this leg. And my parents are like, well, what? Whoa, 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 wait a second. Well, they called my family doctor. Family doctor called this doctor. He came to that hospital where I was at, and he looked at x-rays, and he said, he's a kid. Put him in traction. It'll heal. It'll be stronger than what it was before. Yeah. So that's that's what they did. And uh, so my parents back then, now think about that, back then, you didn't do second opinions. The doctor said you need to amputate your leg. You you got your leg cut off. Um, oh, Lord. Yeah, so my parents were like, no, we're going to ask a few more questions. So 
Uh, but they wanted to, yeah, the doctors at the ER wanted to amputate my leg because, you know, the the process they saw a cyst of, and they were like, oh my god, he's gonna die from something if we don't get yeah. that off and like. Yeah, you know, back then, the the medical thing. Good Lord. Yeah, cysts become tumors, right? Tumors become cancer. That's the mindset back in the, you know, late 60s, early 70s. So let's eliminate that possibility. We can't fix any of it. Yeah, let's just cut his leg off. Chop the leg off. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that, you know, let's solve that one. So thank God for medicine. Thank God for school running. You're like, my my, uh, brushes aren't working. Just chop them off. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't worry about it. You don't need. You only need three of them. <laughs> no, so you know. Again, it, I'm a blessed. I'm a blessed kid, a blessed young man, and a blessed old man. I just, I would still be doing floors if I didn't have the health issues with my bones. It's that simple. Yeah, you know, I'm 59. I'm not ready to give it up. I hope. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you. A, sorry, go ahead. You're 59. You're not ready to give up what? I'm just not ready to put down the hammer and the and the nail gun or the sander and you know. Yeah, that's your personality. Yeah. That's a good that's a good thing to know that you want to keep doing things, I feel like. Yeah. Um, and and like I said, working with Middle Tennessee Lumber, they give me the opportunity to do still do it. Uh obviously yeah. I don't do it every day. I do it for training, teaching or helping guys or going job sites. Uh they're just an amazing place to work and they're amazing people. And uh uh I appreciate the fact that they see value in what I do and how I do it. But more importantly, they see the value in me because they approached me. I didn't approach them. They, cool. they had a, they had a whole new concept about themselves that they wanted to introduce to rebrand themselves. And, uh, I was a part of that rebranding. And so I feel honored and privileged to be, you know, to be seeked out like that. Hmm. That's cool. So it's pretty great. I've been with middle yeah. Tennessee almost eight years now. Hmm. So, so they make lumber, they sell lumber yeah, we, in the mill. Yeah, we do. Yeah, Middle Tennessee Lumber manufactures wide plank flooring, uh, all the domestics. Everything is Appalachian. So um, you, know, you you get the wide planks and everything, and, and, you know, we make a great product. So probably the hardest part working there is getting the contractors to understand uh, that wood is wood. And so many guys don't get wide plank, how it acts, reacts, and, uh, you know, yeah. everyone thinks it's just, you know, I'll put it down and it'll be fine. And, you know, the builder story that it would deal with and acclimation, moisture content, job site conditions. Sometimes yeah. I feel like a broken record. I, unfortunately, no, I had I... to go this last week to Atlanta, look at a floor and the poor contractor uh, had gaps. And I said, look, these gaps are normal. You know, oh, this is this is seven inch wide product. He goes, no, no, no. This is select. And select doesn't do that. I go, no. <laughs> You're correct. Select is a grade. Select, that's what I said. Select is the grade. Your product is select, but it's still seven inch wide, seven foot, six foot, five foot, four foot long boards. Yeah. No machine is going to make it absolutely perfectly straight. When we manufacture it, we're plus or minus five thousandths. Mm-hmm. When it gets to from manufacturing to a storage to warehouse to truck to, to back to the dealer's location to the job site. Uh, you know, you, you can have uh, fifteen to twenty thousandths variance in that seven-inch wide board. Yeah, and that that's normal. Unfortunately, yeah. he oversold the job and told the homeowner, "It's I'm going to order select, so it'll be perfect." Select. So, yeah. yeah, that's that's a bad. That's a that's, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so I said, yep, yeah, this is select. That's what you ordered. He goes, well, if this was one so congressman. Middle Tennessee is all, it's all solid. It's no engineer. Yes, engineers. well, we, we, we do make engineers as well. We have a five-eighths engineer and a three-quarter engineer. So, um, but he didn't our, get engineered. He got select because he got select because that's select not going to expand or contract. Right, this moisture won't affect it. <laughs> so I had to, I had to, you know, deny the claim, and I hate that because here's a guy trying to make a living. But yeah. I also, I gotta, I have to be, I gotta be, you know, truthful and and upfront with the guy. And I measured the stuff, put feeder gauge in it. The cracks are allowable. Uh, Middle Tennessee lumber is a NOFMA mill, so we follow the NOFMA guidelines. And yeah. uh, so, you know, I, I felt bad for the guy. But yeah, I mean, I've told clients up and down that this could happen to your floor when they get solid, and mm-hmm. and and they still are like, why is it capping? I'm like, remember that seasonal gapping thing I told you about? Right. Yeah. I guess they, they just they, put it in writing, but it, it exists on the internet. You know, Google. Yes. <laughs> I uh I that's the battle I fight now is uh people yeah. doing that and, and different the methods most... of installing it but uh, yeah. I I hope and I really sincerely mean this with all I am and worth and all my heart I hope to retire from Mill Tennessee Lumber they're that great of a company it reminds me of yeah it reminds me of when I started for Clark American Sanders uh you know back in the 80s it's that kind of mentality uh, every that's day a, they a... They have a, they every day they have quality meetings, not just occasionally, but every day. Oh, that's and cool. Every day, wow. Yeah, the that's president. Makes it. Yeah, the president and the everybody. They all they're all part of those meetings. So anyone who's ahead of a division, whether it be the kiln, the rough mill, the finished goods, uh, a buyer, HR director, president of the company, uh, chief financial officer, all the principals are in that meeting every day. Now they don't may not make it one day or two because they're out on business or making do something else, yeah. but they but know they, what's they going get, on. They get the notes and yeah. well, the notes are on the board. They have a board yeah. every day that tells what how much production they made that day, and if there's any problems. Are hmm. uh, are the guys that probably get the most abuse at our place uh, would be our uh, maintenance department because if machine breaks at end of the shift, it's got to be running the next day. So that means they're working all night. And those guys yeah. start usually four thirty, five o'clock in the morning, and when they get to go home is when things are made sure that they're all ready for the next day's production. So wow. some long days, yeah. That's a that's a tough thing. I'd love I'd love to check it out sometime. I'm never in Middle Tennessee. Well, I um I'll, I'll extend the offer to anyone if they're in the uh, outside the Nashville areas where we're at. We're forty miles west of Nashville in a little town called Burns, Tennessee. Uh, anyone at any time, you're welcome to come and see what we do. We have nothing to hide. We we love showing our place. We're proud of it. Um, That's cool. And, uh, you know, we're not perfect. We we do make mistakes. We're not going to lie. But <laughs> the quality of our wood is is, uh, is very good. Yeah. And uh, we have some amazing people that work there as well. That's a good good segue to this question looking at here. Um I feel like you have a very gratifying life when I look back at all the things you've just told me. Um, but what is, if you can point to something like the most gratifying thing that you, you know, find about what you do or your life in general? Helping somebody, honestly, that's the, 
helping somebody, getting the guy in a jam out of a jam, helping a guy that's new who's on a job and calls you up and says, I really, you know, I hear you're pretty good at this. I, I, I'm, I'm stuck. Can you help me? And I'll just jump in the truck and go. Uh, that is like a massive reward. Just help somebody. Um, there's many instances. I, as you know, I did a lot of NWA classes. I, I think I went uh, a three or four year stretch where I did not miss a class that they put on. So I was mm. at every class and um, I've had people that uh, were, you know, by society's standards would look down on them because of education, lack of education, the way they dress, the way they act, the way they talk. Uh, I've had people with handicaps, you know, um, we were in California and two guys that were there were completely deaf. So they wanted what to, was that? you know, uh, we're in boy, California because California is so big. It's such a huge state. It was, that when it was say California. I'm like, was yeah, that like you know, in the other it was part in of San, California. It was in San Francisco. They have the docks okay. there, the old docks. Yeah, we we uh, had our training class in, in that dock facility right there on the you know, where they docked the ships at one time. Mm-hmm. And uh, these two guys were deaf, and I said, you know, something uh, through obviously through an interpreter. Uh, what intrigues me about you two guys is you can't hear what we talk about when you hear the sandpaper, when you hear the machine bogged down, or when you hear something. Mm-hmm. I really would love to know what you feel. Yeah. Because everything for them is feel and smell. Yep. And uh, the conversation was amazing. And they actually That's helped so me more cool. than I helped them. Yeah. The way that they can feel the machine actually start to dish out the floor or hear it hit a dead joint or a butt joint. Or lose, yeah. they can feel it. They can feel the things that we take for granted because we have other senses. That was a really cool uh, week there. I've had guys. Uh, one young guy, I'll never forget him. Uh, he was always kind of back to himself. <clears throat> His boss made him go. He was from, you know, rural community, USA. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to say backwards, but he was probably very scared to be there by himself. It could have been his first trip out of his hometown. I don't know. But I could just tell he was uncomfortable and struggling. And I find out yeah. he can't read. He can't read. He can't read a lick. He can't. He can barely okay. write his own name. So I just said, you know, this is this guy's here for a reason, and I'm the reason. So I helped him that whole week. Anything he had questions on, I would read it for him and explain it to him without judging him. I just, mm-hmm. he, you know, he's just a floor man, just like the rest of us. Yeah, and uh, at the end of that class, you know, he just gave me a huge hug. Felt pretty good. Yeah, it would. So yeah, so those are the things that are probably the most satisfying. Hmm. Just help, just helping people, just really helping people. I I did I knew nothing about wood floors or about installation, sanding, finishing. All I knew was about a machine and how it was supposed to work according to manufacturer specifications. And through the course of my life, meeting some of the most amazing people, uh, I forget all their names, but, I mean, you go back to guys that no one knew about, Mac McLaughlin, Roland Holder, uh, a great guy, Dick Radecki, who was the guy that introduced the Hummel machine to the United States. And you're like, really? oh, you, oh yeah, we like you like Dick. Dick was a phenomenal guy. Uh, Coley Armstrong, some guys I've yeah, already I'm, mentioned. I'm sitting next to two Hummels in a Galaxy. Uh, where's the Galaxy? Galaxy yeah. out of my dad's shop. Yeah. 
yeah. So, um, yeah, Dick Radecki is an amazing story. He, um, the guy, as you know, when he came in with the Hummel, it was 100% American Sanders drum Sanders uh, or, or Galaxy drum Sanders. Yeah. He's the one that – and it came through Canada. It came down – it came from Germany through Canada. I would – uh, I hope someone remembers that story at, at Logler, but yeah, uh, he was a great guy. Hmm. Um, oh man. I mean, there's just so many people I could probably rattle off that no one's ever going to know because, you know, they're born way before these guys retired and quit. And I, I feel like that's like, it. I feel like that's like the essence of life right there. That sentence that you just said, there are so many people that led up to this moment. It's like, Hmm that is so true you know yeah yeah and i hope so many levels on like a business level on a personal level on a family level it's like wow yeah absolutely like that that doc that doctor that changed your life his lifetime led up to that moment that changed your life yes and i hope i'm that i'm hoping i'm that life changer for somebody else you know i hope that that guy that can't read you know i've never seen him again heard from him again but I hope that mm. his life has turned out phenomenal and he's still working and doing for us. So it, mm. you, you know, we don't know the impact we could have on anyone at any time, positive or negative. Exactly. So, uh, and we're all imperfect. None of us are perfect. My line is there's one perfect person and we put him on a cross. So, uh, you know, all I can do is go forward, make a mistake, apologize, learn from that life lesson and keep going forward. That's all we can do. So beautifully said. But it's, but it's also the challenges would be the other half of that question. Um, most of us all know Kim Walgren. She's the uh, editor at the. Who, uh, wait, hold on, it just went all clicky. Say that again, Kimmy. No, who? Kim Kim Walgren. Okay. Uh, when I met her, she was the editor for the Hardwood Floor Magazine. She's now the editor for Wood Floor Business Magazine. Um, they asked me to write some articles, and for me, that's a difficult task. I'm not. I can read and write and do all that, but I'm I, uh, I'm dyslexic. So for me to put my thoughts together in article form is is a task. But she said, yeah. "Don't worry about it. I'll edit it. I'll edit it." So exactly. I would send her. You got you got to barf out your first version of anything that you write. I'm realizing because I'm starting to try to write something and it's yeah. like that. You have to just barf it out, and not be like, "Who's looking at this? Nobody's looking at it. It's something in your head it's, looking at it." Yeah, but she became my uh, my early version of spell check and for my grammar and everything else. So she challenged right. me to get better. So through the course of the years, I've probably written 25, 30 different articles for her and with her. Exactly. So she's amazing. She used to laugh because I, you know, my English is wacky. Uh, you know, we mm-hmm. use words like we use, like used to could means, means I used to could do that, but I can't no more. And exactly. I would try to I would try to write that out, you know. And she's like, "Wait, what is? What are you trying to say here?" <laughs> and she would laugh. Exactly. I'd laugh. We had fun with it. But so the way people she would challenge you to get better, um, yeah. and it was all constructive. That's the other thing I like about this industry. I really believe everyone has a heart where they're trying to be constructive. And there's mm. an old proverbs, you know, that says uh, constructive criticism is like gold. We should worry at the lack of it. So I hope and always try to be very constructive, not destructive. I like that. That's a lot. Um, I'm looking at this question here. Um, what was the big, one of the biggest obstacles you faced in your life? 
Wow. Um, this, I mean, you can probably, just, yeah, I, I, like I look yeah. at your life and I'm, I'm fascinated by you, Wayne. Honestly, I'm like, wow, this is, the I, didn't, wasn't expect, I was expecting a lot of flooring information, but yeah, thanks for sharing I'm, all this. I'm just a, I'm just a guy. I'm like everybody else. I'm no one special. Uh, biggest challenge for me was, uh, and again, I think my very dear friend, Daniel, he got me over this hump. Uh, when I started my business, obviously scared, you know, you're nervous as a cat at a, at a dog show. You're trying to make mm-hmm. a living. I had two children, you know, a wife, mortgage, like everybody else. Uh, operating myself and my business in fear. I was afraid of failure. I was afraid to try because of failure. I was afraid I wasn't going to be good enough. I was afraid to take on that challenging job. And Daniel just said, Wayne, stop running your business in fear. Mm. And that was my biggest challenge to get over. Uh, you know, uh, don't, don't run in fear. And it took me a long time to get over that challenge. Now, there are, you know, in life, things come along that we are fearful from, but, uh, and that's okay. But don't be afraid to try. All you can do is say, I can't do it. I'm sorry or I messed up, I'll fix it, or, you know, uh, don't, don't operate your business in fear. That was the best advice I got. And that was my biggest challenge to get over. Um, Yeah. It's it's a challenge to, to present yourself to somebody and be like, give me money for what I'm doing, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not a little bit of money either. I'm proud of it. So you're going to pay a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I had a little bit of a similar issue when I was doing it when I was really young because I was like 20 and pretty young looking anyway. So I was really young when I was 20. People were like, you're in charge, you're doing it, you know, because I was doing everything. So it was just like, wasn't really so much of an obstacle, though. I found it funny. You know? Yeah, it is funny. I, um, I've had a couple of young guys that worked for me. At, at my height, I have had six people working with me. And a couple of the guys were literally out of high school. And the homeowners mm-hmm. be like, um, uh, is he supposed to? Is he is he going to be able to do this? I'm like, yes. Mm-hmm. You no, don't have to worry about, yeah, you don't exactly, have to worry about like, him because I have him. You have me. Totally, exactly. Yeah. So I got him like, back. But I my phrase for my guys was always this: uh, Roy Squires was a guy that I worked with for a while, and he would always come to the job every day. And we're like, Roy, don't you trust us? He could be like, nope. I'm going to inspect what I expect. Ooh. And that stuck, that stuck with me as well. I'm going to inspect what I expect. There. Yeah. yeah. I still, I'm yeah, the key is to do that in a kind way with people that work for you. Yes. You know, cause you want them to learn, you know, and, yep. and like you said, like yep. that young person, like, you know, you're looking at me like, no, I, I, I know the skill level they got, you know, this, this, this young person yeah. is going to come and think about it like this. I'm, you know, a young guy, uh, and I'm about to be trained by probably one of the premier hardwood flooring guys in the United States who started doing floors when he was nine years old. And he's got me with an edger saying, here's how you do it. You know, go after it. And you start doing it. Mm-hmm. I, uh, again, another great impression that Daniel left on me is I made mistakes and uh, some of them were big, some of them were small, some of them were just absolutely because I wasn't paying attention. 
But he never, and I mean he never, once ever yelled or got really ugly about it. He's like, look, we got to learn from this. This is what you got to do. So when I tell you this is how it has to be done, if you got, if you're unsure, ask the question. Don't yeah. don't do it. He never yelled. So I took take, that take to the head. time. Yeah. yeah. Like I always tell people that work with me, I'm like. If you're ever in a situation where you're just like, oh, I just don't know, and I'm not feeling like I'm flowing with my work right now, come talk to me. You know, yeah. like I don't know what I don't know what it is until you tell me that you can't figure out how to make this cut around the door. Right. I don't want you and to sit there for five hours and all day long frustrated and or do it yourself. cost yeah yeah or do it mess it up it's going to cost us more time and more money to fix it. Yeah know? yeah yeah I mean the money thing is is eventually you realize you got to cut someone loose because they're costing you money but. Um, like I've I've had people work for me that I feel like uh I get in their own way a lot of the time. Like I'm like, how yep. can you be so good for a little while and then not? And then like I understand yep. days go go in and out. That's not you know something I'm talking about. Like you know personal yep. life obviously will in- interact your life, but there's a consistency to your effort that needs to right. be there. Yeah. Yep. And, and that's like why some people bring it to the table and you're just like, Phew. like I, I got this guy working for me now that I feel like he. Yeah. was molded by the flooring gods and dropped into my lap at the right time. I'm just like, oh, my God. Yeah, that it, 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 that's awesome. But that's why you carry what Roy Squire said, inspect what you expect. Yeah. So I did that and we every day and uh, go from job to job. And I had a great bunch of young guys. We, we had a blast. Yeah, it is a blast. Yeah. I really find it being one of the most rewarding trades to be in of all the – if you go home tired, you had a good day. Yeah. <clears throat> but I you have good I, uh, conversations with people, make some good yeah. money, and, you know. Yep. Yeah, I it, find it rewarding. I, it is. It's very rewarding. But those challenges were, like you said, those, other people challenging you is a good thing. Uh, mm. For so, sure. You know, writing, I don't think so well with it, but it is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I writing those articles, doing the photos, uh, doing the videos, you know, the uh, you know, from YouTube to current interactive videos, you know, live streaming stuff now. Uh, I feel like those people prepared me to do all these things because I sure didn't have it on my own. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I have this question here: that passing your knowledge on is that something important to you? I, I I know it is, but I only let you say a little bit about it directly. I feel like yeah, it, stuff. I know what you're doing; it is important. Yeah, it's not. Um, it's not that it's not important. I don't have, I have two daughters. So uh, mm-hmm. my entire, you know, parenting life, I didn't, neither one of my daughters had a, a desire to jump behind the sander. You know, one funny story, I was on a job, we were 3,000 feet and I had gotten behind and I, I had to do it myself. So I said to my youngest daughter, I said, hey, um, all I need you to do is come run this 3DS, you know, it's bring your uh i call it an ear radio what do you call it at that time it was an ipod or whatever it is yeah i said just bring your ear radio mm-hmm. and just walk back and forth like you're mowing the grass mm-hmm. so it was three thousand feet she got about eight nine hundred feet of it done she stopped she walked over to me and i was uh palm sandy hand rubbing borders and stuff mm-hmm. and she goes is this what you do all day dad i said yeah isn't this cool she goes no not at all in fact i'm ready to go home <laughs> yeah, I said, "Well, no, man, I... you committed. You committed to dad, so 
So we're going to leave here about 5, 6 o'clock. So just go ahead and turn that machine back on. Listen to your radio. <laughs> Keep walking. And, yeah. She, that's the last time and the first time she worked with Dad. So, that's uh, funny. Yeah. But, like, yeah, this is what you do every day? Yep. Don't you, don't you love it? No. Don't you love it? <laughs> it smells so good in here. Yeah. Give you the perfume I, I, of the door? Yeah. So I'm blessed because both my daughters are – one is a uh, elementary education – and her husband is a uh, uh, policeman. Uh-huh. And uh, my oldest, my youngest daughter, she is a corrections officer. She went to college and got a uh, psychology degree. And she uses her degree in uh, in law in corrections. She's been a, a actual prison guard in the in prison. She's been a probation officer. She's been uh, different things in her field and all the things that she's done. Yeah, it doesn't sound like you get away with a lot in your in your household. No, I I can be cuffed and stuff real soon. Uh, oh, yeah. But and then her husband is also a corrections officer, and he's a uh, he's in the mil- National Guard as a military police. So yeah, uh, I'm blessed. I got two great son-in-laws. Neither one of which That's wanted awesome. anything with Harvard. They want nothing to do with Harvard floor. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the biggest reward to uh, having daughters is that I now have two grandsons that are absolutely the highlight of, of my life right now. So That's awesome. uh, they're two and a half and one and a half, and, and Pappy loves them to death. So Awesome. Yeah, it's cool. All right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll into the last question here. Um, like, what do you consider your life's purpose? You know, just kind of. Uh, that gets me. Is yeah. Important to yeah. Me. It is, and sometimes that'll get you in trouble, especially in today's world. Um, The older I got, the more I realized, uh, for me, is the importance of faith. God. Representing, if I can represent God well, then it means I'm representing myself well. And uh, through youth and through some decisions in my younger days, you know, I never did drugs. I never have, never, hopefully never will. I'm not, I don't drink at all, period. I don't do that. I don't, uh, you know, I'm not one of those typical guys go around cussing, swearing, and acting a fool. But mm-hmm. I think I think our purpose in life should be to we really should represent what who created us, and that in in a good way. You know, I think that's our I, purpose. I agree 100. percent I mean, I I, I I firmly believe it's different for every human being on the face of this earth what that means to them, and I and I I believe that. As someone that <laughs> waffled on God and all these things, I, I firmly believe God exists, but I, it's just so different for everyone. And then, yeah, it is. It's and that's where it, I, get, I get in trouble because I'm. Uh, I do a lot. I read my Bible a lot, often, most times, usually every day, sometimes every every day of the mm-hmm. week. But I get I let myself get in the way, and I'm like, you know what? God doesn't really need you that much, Wayne. You need Him, so. Uh, I'll say things that I probably shouldn't say and challenge people in a way I shouldn't be challenging them. But I think that I think that uh, that is the purpose for all of us. And then, you know, mm-hmm. after that, we we need to help others and share with others and teach others, give to others. You know, um, yeah. To me, that's 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 the faith and the religion. All those words yeah. you just said in a line, yeah. and the, and then you get people in a room and they create this thing called church, and we get to yeah. You know, yeah, whatever that is for you, that's yeah. Because I feel like I, I've I, been uh, through 
I don't know, I just feel like I've been through religious and spiritual experiences with people that I've met and had short encounters with. Like like that doctor that you had, you know what I mean? Like for me that's that's God right there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, and he use he can use us in different ways. Good, bad. Yeah. He can he can take a bad situation and make it into a good situation. Um, yep. but it, it to bring it all in perspective, you know, we're told, you know, what is your life? It's a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Yep. And we need to remind we need to remind ourselves of that. That you know, we're not all that in a cup of sugar. Probably no yeah. Honestly, one of the things that is uh, the most flattering, but also the biggest curse, is the bobblehead. The bobblehead? Yes. I had two bobbleheads uh, made with my head on it through promotional things, one through American Sanders and one through uh, Middle Tennessee Lumber. Okay. And uh, it's a blessing because people are, you know, it's to get a bobblehead is pretty good recognition. I would say so. But it's also biggest curse because people are like your expectation of who you are and what you are goes through the sky. Yeah, I'm but not, where do you go from there? You're on a bobblehead I, too. I, I'm not anyone special. I honestly am just like you, like any other person that's trying to make a living, whether they're an electrician, a floor man, a plumber, a teacher, a policeman, a fireman, a ditch digger, a garbage man. We're all the same. Yeah, that's why you so ended that, up on the bobblehead. That's why when they sat around in the office in the boardroom, they said, "You need to be on yeah. the bobblehead, Wayne." Yeah, yeah, that's this is the knucklehead right here. So, yeah. and unfortunately, you you, uh, you you you're living you're living the right kind of way. You know what I mean? Like I can tell when you're broaching the subject of faith and religion. Like anyone, any time you broach that subject, it can lead to a conversation that you didn't want to get into or whatever, you know, it's just, it's yeah, what it's, it is. It, it is what it, it is. is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, um but uh, you know, I think we're all on the same side in the end, religious yeah. or not. We're all humans. We're all, we all have the same, uh, pains, heartaches, worries. Uh, we're all prone to the same problems, you know, uh, life is hard and sometimes it, it gets really hard. I've got in the, this last 30 days, I've had three, close uh acquaintances two very close friends that have died from cancer in the last yeah. 30 days right uh, and it, i'm that, about to start been, crying because i'm in the same boat as you yeah it, it, that boat, brings it, it's it brings it in perspective uh mm-hmm. we are our life is a vapor we're here for a little while then we vanish it away that's exactly from the bible and uh we're not here forever. If we're lucky, we get 80, 85 years, right? Then we'll, yeah. you know, so that's why it's important to help teach and do. And I guess that's what helps me uh, want to help and help people out, you know, the skills on wheels. Now we uh, we have a training center in in uh, Clarksville, Tennessee, with, the Mer- with um, Middle Tennessee Lumber. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so we're holding classes there now. And uh, so what I do is I call them quick trip tips where if someone can come in for one day, you don't have to get a hotel and spend three days at a large class and they're mm-hmm. focused. You just tell me what you want to do and we'll, we will set it up to meet that demand. So cool. uh, I've already held uh, three Sandy classes. We've had an Ezra class. I've had an install class. 
uh, we have a partnership with LP and uh, the entire training center. We have eight foot walls inside. It's a we have a building inside of a building. Eight foot, eight foot long or tall walls. I've got outlets in the wall, so it's like real world where you have to plug your vacuum in, your saw in. Uh, everything has to be plugged in. There's no cords coming from above or across a big room. Yeah, you, you have to learn cord management. Uh, it's up off the ground, so it's uh, you can go underneath there, and it's like a crawl space. So you can go in and, and check your moisture from the bottom. Uh, do crawl space. Wow. You know, yeah. So it, it's uh, I've got incorporated steps on either end. So there's five steps. Uh, I want to get something and, like that out here in the Bay Area. I feel like the West Coast gets a little bit left, and I was, I was so surprised to hear you say that story that you told me earlier happened in San Francisco, and it was a class and whatnot. I was like, man. This was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, they, they, I feel like, yeah, I feel like when I first started doing floors, I used to see them pop up around here quite a bit. And then I hadn't seen them. Obviously, I don't see them at all now with all the everything. But um, yeah, I look forward I, to getting to some of those NWFA classes. Yeah, I know that NWFA will host some out there with Gallagher. Yeah, so, yeah, they I are near me. Yep. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So. And uh, the other thing I think is really cool, um, manufacturers – have also really stepped up with education and training. Now I know the ultimate goal is to sell product, you know, and to sway people to like my brand over someone else's brand. I, yeah, I know you that can try them and make your own decision. That's what I do. That's right. But the, these manufacturer schools uh, are product focused, so you can ask you can ask the hard question and get the answer. Yeah. The NWFA and I appreciate this tremendously. They they try to remain remain a product neutral because they don't want yeah. to promote something. So if you ask a hard question, they may or may not be able to give you the answer to that question. Yeah. No, I so, feel like they're, they're trying to, you know, look out for the integrity of how floors are being installed and standard and finished. And, yeah. I, and, then, I and, that, and what you use is on you, how to get to that. Yeah. I'm a, I'm an NWFA certified install standard and finish guy. I believe, uh, 100% that the NWFA has massive value to our industry. Yeah. I use their guidelines almost every day when I go out and look at a job for troubleshooting or an inspection or to help a guy. I actually have all the books in the back of my truck in a binder. They stay with me. Um, That's cool. Yeah, so that information is invaluable, especially if I'm working with a builder and, the, I'm, and I'm there with, the, with the, the installer or the sand and finish guy, and I say, look, Mr. Builder, what are you what are you trying to get? Well, I want him to do it right. I go, he is doing it right. Well, I don't think he is. I said, well, he's following these standards. These are yeah. the standards from from our industry. So what you're asking him to do is not correct, and he's trying to help you, you know, resolve a problem down the road. And exactly. I educate him. Yeah. So and rather than get ugly and you know get in that let's throw verbal words at each other. I use the book. So I, I believe the end of the phase is invaluable. A lot of guys don't think so, but I do. Um, yeah, it's, it's I not, mean, it's it's all – I think being open to things is valuable. And I don't know. It's just – it's yeah, yeah I, I, so, I actually haven't been to any NWFA classes, but I've read a lot of their material. Um, they make it free, which is great. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, they're not hiding anything. Uh, they're trying to make it easier for us. There's a lot of folks that say, oh, they don't do this, they won't do that. But there's some statements that ca they can't say. Let's just arbitrary statement. You should never use staples, you should only use cleats. Well, that's not true. 
No, but there is a no. there is a debate about cleats versus staples, right? The yeah. NWA is not trying to, to settle the debate of staples versus cleats. The NWA is trying to teach you how to use that fastener the right way. Yeah, they're telling yeah. you how to put how many to yeah. put, what what the underlayment should be, what the residual exactly. humidity exactly. should be, yeah, you know, all the things yeah. that are going to get you to where the client you can have a yeah you have a successful job. Right, and at the end of the day, you put your hand out, and they put that check in it. That's what ended a little confidence. Meant. So you you can you yeah. can like I like I, one year ago to from now, I was pretty stressed out running my flooring business. Like if my phone made a noise, I'm, I just would get this stress feeling, and I changed a lot in one year. Got new guy working, which just been really lucky, and new tools and just different mindset, and I just feel so much different. Like I can't even, yep. I don't even feel it, feel like it's, you know, I lost a bunch of weight. Like all these good things happened because I just kind of really, you know, said I'm not going to do it like this anymore. And I'm going right. to take the time to take care of myself and I'm going to make sure that the client gets all the right thing. I had to call a few contractors and be like, you know, sorry to be the grump for the rest of your life. But if you want to work with me, this, these are the rules and I don't yes. need yeah. you yeah. breaking them because <laughs> then we're going to get in trouble. <laughs> Yeah, there's a, a another guy that uh, I didn't always agree with, but in this instance I did. He worked out of Florida, Bass Hardwood Floors. He was having some complications with an employee. He took him outside, showed him the side of the van. He says, what do you see? So I see a van. He says, yeah, but whose name's on that van? Your name. He says, okay, great. We figured it out. So when your name's on the side of that van, you can tell me what to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I thought, Boy, how how to the point is that, you know? Uh, it's, it's, I, I like directness. I do well with it. I grew up with all women. I feel like I got told exactly what to do. Yeah. You know, yeah. I uh, had to listen. Otherwise, you know, that's what it was. <laughs> everything in our life has a purpose. Sometimes those yeah. purposes are to lead us down a kind of ugly path. But it, it's not always thunderstorming every day. So we got to remember yeah. that at the, end, at the end of that storm, there's going to be some sunshine. So we got to persevere through it and, and uh, learn from it. And that's the key right there. And when you can help someone, help them. If you can eliminate someone's pain, eliminate their pain. If you can lift someone up, lift them up. Uh, if they need a hug, give them a hug. Uh, you know, just whatever it takes. And if we did that across the board, I really think we'd be better off that's, to help sure. each other out in our, in our trade, you know. And that, that goes beyond our trade. Um, yeah, I yeah love, that's, the world, that's the world I want to live in, so. Yeah, it's it's so cool. Uh, when we were doing the classes, let's go back, you know, uh, oh boy, this is going back 20 years. There was no social media. There was no uh, live interactive videos. So we we took it to them. I cannot tell you how many times I've packed and repacked and packed and repacked uh, large boxes of tools and saws and everything. And we took, you know, those four years or three years that I traveled every school with the NWFA. Mm-hmm. That was our social media. Yeah. How many? You had to get so out people, there. Yeah. How many people have I met over my career that I'm still friends with that still know who I am without social media? Now, let's go fast forward 2021. Uh, we could say we could use that platform in an amazing way, or we could use it in a horrible way. And I oh, feel yeah. like right. Right now, I feel like there's a lot of uh, opportunity to, to make yourself better. Because when a guy 
puts puts a picture up or a live video and you see the workmanship, you're like, I want that's what I want to do. I want to do that kind of work. Yeah, you know? no, it got it's that's like a year ago. I can really remember one year ago I was seeing I was like, Man, we're doing floors good, but like I'm seeing floors that we can do better and I can get all these yeah. systems in place and I won't be stressed out as much and I yeah. just kinda went and went about it and did it and and yeah. It worked. Was yeah. Like, oh God, I feel so much better. <laughs> yeah, and 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 you get an opportunity to see it almost live, or you can actually yeah. go back and you can go back and kind of rewind it and replay it too. Our yeah. training classes, you couldn't do that. So that's you know we we had our social media twenty years ago by face to face and training and doing all that and building panels and that was our social media, if you will. Yeah. And today's today's uh, environment. It's different. You have to, you have to really, you have to almost, um, like, in in a a real, like, thought type way, go about it. Because you have to go on the internet and find it, and then find a relationship and nurture it, and then read it, and let one trail lead to another. Whereas, when if you commit yourself to go to one of these classes, you're going to be in a situation. You're going to be in front of somebody like that guy that you know couldn't read, and you're there, and you're like the perfect person, and it's like that. That doesn't really happen online. It'd be really hard to do, like really yeah, hard. Yeah. You'd have to like see a comment and be like, oh, my God, I need to contact this person and help them, you know. And that that's where I can say that's the downside to the the same things we're talking about. You see that, that beautiful work the guy did. You see the tools he did it. Mm-hmm. But the one thing you're not going to learn is how he physically did it. You can't yeah. learn. You can't learn from a YouTube video. When I tell you to no. turn the edge around and feel this or feel that or hear this or hear or, or don't listen for that, you can't do that from a video. And that's why right. I love about the training from the National Wood Flooring Association and the manufacturers, because you get a yeah. chance to you get a chance to touch it, feel it, hear it. And if you're like the two gentlemen in uh, San Francisco at that class, uh, all you have is your ability to feel and smell. They didn't have the ability to hear, so. Uh, you get a chance to really get to know the product, the tools, and get that that personal education. So I, yeah. I love I love the schools. I would encourage people to go to the manufacturer school. Um, yeah, I think they're going to be a lot of fun when this all get out of a pandemic. Oh, I can't believe I'm saying yeah. that we're in a pandemic, but when we get out of a pandemic, we're going to be just it's going to be so yeah, fun we're going to be around people. Yeah, I I'm looking forward to two things. Shaking hands of a lot of new friends and hugging some old ones. There because you go, yeah. Right right now, it's really tough. You know, you, we're doing the knuckle bump, the elbow bump, or we're just staying yeah. six feet apart. I'm looking forward to giving a guy a hug around the neck and say, man, I'm, it's it's just great to see you. you totally. Know, I'm, I'm, really, I'm looking forward to that. So. Yeah. Uh, but but right, well, my, life, my life story really isn't different than anyone else's. It's just a process of getting uh, older, wiser, meeting people learning, yeah. taking the opportunity to, to do it, and then share it. I mean, we, I think we all do that. Totally. That's, that, I think that's exactly where we should leave it because I want to go get myself some breakfast and enjoy my Saturday. There nice you go. You too. All right. I'm getting, ready, I'm getting ready to go see my grandsons right here. So. All right. Perfect, all right. man. Enjoy your day, I appreciate Wayne. it. Thank you for your Thank time. Thank you. All right, man. Yeah. God bless. Yeah, God bless. Bye.